What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Today's episode of the Chase to Must podcast is brought to you by our presenting sponsor, Panko Chicken. The new Atlanta restaurant thrives off of a unique spin on Japanese and Western cuisine and is already racking up the awards, winning best-selling taste in the Taste of Atlanta Awards both in 2017 and 2018. So if you're in the metro Atlanta area and are wanting to try something new and good and delicious, Go to Panko Chicken today and tell them that I sent you over. You'll be glad you did, I promise. Panko Chicken, where eats meets West. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. Welcome to another episode of the Chase Thomas podcast. We're recording tonight's episode on a Wednesday night. Trades are happening. Nick Stauskas has been traded for a 19th time this season wade baldwin is still in the nba if you're curious but uh it's it's crazy time in the nba the trade deadline is tomorrow um and we're going to talk about some of that but jeff siegel one of my favorite nba guests writers thinkers capologists is back he's on the line right now jeff good evening how are you sir i am helter skelter it is the day before the deadline and i'm we're flying through all these different trades and we're just, we're, we're running. We're off and running. The NBA never stops as we found out at two seventeen in the morning last night, East coast time, which was fun uh, with the Tobias Harris trade. So it's been, uh, it's been nuts in the last couple of days and it'll remain that way for about another 24 hours until we finally get all the details from all the trades and all the pick protections. And then we can finally go to sleep for a week. It wasn't that long ago where we were complaining that nothing ever happens at the trade deadline anymore and that the summer was the new trade deadline of just like player movement and stuff like that. I feel like um, things have shifted a little bit, but even still, I mean, the summer is still the thing because LeBron James just moved teams over the summer and Kyrie might move. Anthony Davis is a better shot, but it does seem like uh, this year more so than others um, is a little bit more interesting than in years past. Is that just recency bias or is it actually a little bit different this year? I mean, I think it's it's a little bit different this year. And the big reason why, especially in the Eastern Conference, is that there's no one team that everybody is like, all right, well, I mean, whatever we do, yeah. we're not going to beat them. So there's no reason to, to buy in. Right now, there's no clear-cut favorite, especially now that Philadelphia has Tobias Harris. Like, you, could, you can talk me into any of those top four teams. And then if Indiana, I mean, obviously, Indiana doesn't have Victor Oladipo anymore. So they're, they've sort of fallen out of that top tier. But if they still had Oladipo, then they'd be buyers at this deadline. And you could really, you could talk me into any of five teams being in, being in the finals representing the Eastern Conference. So, you know, I think from, a, from that perspective, I think a lot of the Eastern Conference teams are willing to buy because there's a chance to make the finals. Um, you know, there, there's a chance for Toronto, Boston, Milwaukee, or Philly to, to find themselves, you know, in, in the NBA finals. And I think the, a lot of the other moves that we've seen so far uh, you know, from, from this deadline are either future facing moves like the Porzingis trade 
doesn't affect what they're doing this year in, in, in Dallas. You know, that's not, that's not a trade that matters for, for 2018, 19, because they're probably going to miss the playoffs anyway. It's really, that's more of a trade for the future. And obviously that's a big, it was a really big trade and, and Dallas sent a lot to New York to, to get that deal done. But um, you know, that's, that, that was a trade that is similar to free agency in that it doesn't help right now, but it helps into, you know, in Oct- it'll help in October, like a free agency signing in July would have, um, you know, and then the other moves that we've seen have been mostly just moving money around, like even this three-way deal with Shumpert and Brandon Knight and Alec Burks and a, and a couple of other players and picks and stuff like that. Like that's mostly a money move for Houston. Like that helps them save on the, on the luxury tax next year. That helps them lower their payroll next year. So I think the, that's, you know, that, that will help them. Shumpert is a, is a better player than Brandon Knight and, and will help them. Uh, maybe even Nick Stauskas can, can give them some shooting off the bench as well. But Wade Baldwin's not useful. I don't think he's an NBA player, but, but Stauskas and, and Shumpert can help them more than Knight could. So it's, you know, those, those moves are more money-based. But, you know, I think we're seeing more activity, you know, especially with, with bigger names. Obviously, Anthony Davis is the biggest name, and we'll see, you know, whether he can get dealt or not. And that's sort of a that's a different circumstance because he asked out, but the Tobias Harris and, and Kristaps Porzingis trades, like those are, are manifestations of, of what the market looks like right now, where, you know, how open things are in the Eastern conference has certainly helped that. And, and, you know, so we've seen that big swing from Philadelphia because the East is so open, you know, even though, you know, Toronto and Milwaukee in particular are, are very good teams, Philadelphia has got, you know, three superstars and they can add, a fourth all-star, you know, fringe all-star type player to, to their mix and Tobias Harrison. So I just think, you know, though, that's, that's the, that's the, re- the, the reason things are so open is because there's so much talent spread throughout the league, especially in the Eastern conference. And, and as those teams tool up for the playoffs, you know, we're going to, we're going to see a little bit more fireworks over the next, you know, 24 hours or so. So hold that thought on the Sixers because that's something we're going to touch on in a little bit. And I have a lot of thoughts there, but you touched on something earlier about Indiana and there's some like we saw the Conley stuff come up even like without Oladipo for the rest of the year which is just brutal and what they've done but it was it was cool they beat the Lakers by like 70 billion points the other night so they had that um to hang their hats about um indie fans uh berated Brandon Ingram when he was at the free throw line um <laughs> that was brutal to watch uh, LeBron was like 19 uh seats away from the rest of his teammates but anyway um, the Pacers are really interesting to me because they now fall out of that top four group that you, you touched on like this. I, I, I just cannot wait for the playoffs for those four teams in the top of the East to just go to war. And it's going to be, it's going to be a bloodbath. But what do you do if you're Indiana? Because now you have Victor Oladipo out for the rest of the year. It's awful. But you also have like a bunch of dudes who are on, uh, expiring contracts. And we saw this week that they want to bring back Bogdanovich, they have DeMontis Sabonis, um, who is still a really good player. He's just not ever going to be able to play at the same time as Miles Turner, um, which is a problem. You have Thaddeus Young on an expiring contract. And if you're not competing with Oladipo, do you move him to a contender? Because ultimately, Thad Young is a really valuable guy um, on a contender right now. Like, Can you talk someone into that? Could uh, he be great in Houston? A bunch of other teams like that. Um, I wonder if they try and package that into someone else who they can maybe get someone for next year, because they still, 
they're so fascinating because I don't know who they're going to bring back. We know Turner's locked in. We know Old Depot's there, but like Collison will be gone. Corey Joseph, I guess, is still going to be around. McDermott, whatever. But I'm fascinated because like if I'm Indiana, you're already locked in the playoffs anyway. You have Old Depot for the long haul. You have Miles Turner for the long haul. There's no point in like really selling. Um, And it's always going to be good to get more playoff experience for uh, Miles Turner and the rest of those guys. But I, I wonder, like, do you call Miami or, like, what would it take to get Dragic, who hasn't been great this year, but, like, just put him in that role? And Indiana, maybe that's fun. Like, do you call those teams that are on the outside looking in and just be like, what would it take for you to give us someone else? Because if they're sniffing around Conley, even after the Oladipo injury, I, I just feel like they owe it to the fans and the, those group of guys who were just playing so well. Um, with Old Depot to keep going for it, not mortgage their future, but at the same time, like they're gonna have a lot of cash space next year. What if they just ate into that now? No free agent is going to Indiana. Like that's not happening. So do what the Bulls just did when they traded for Otto Porter, where they realized no one's signing with Jim Boylan and uh, that Bulls roster anytime soon. So cap room, depending on the team, has varying degrees of uh, merit. Um, the Clippers have more cachet than the Chicago Bulls. More at eleven. Um, but do you think I'm crazy for thinking the Pacers should get in on the Mike Conley stuff, should get in on maybe Goran Dragic, should get in on Aaron Gordon even at this point? Like, I want to see them buy. I want the Pacers to do something really interesting to make their playoff run um, not as deflating and as just demoralizing as the season goes on. I mean, I think if you were going to buy in on somebody right now, it would not be because you want to compete in the 2018-19 playoffs because, like, no matter who you get, unless Indiana can swing Anthony Davis, like, you're not, you're not competing at the top of the East this year without Victor Oladipo. He's not coming back. You're not competing oh, sure. without him. So you can do your best to try to find somebody like Dragic, like Conley, who is both under contract this year and in the future so that you can right. put up a good fight in the first round and lose in, in five or six games to Philadelphia. Or and whoever then people comes back. Right. Which is, and so I think your, your idea about finding somebody who fits around Oladipo for next year, but not relying on, on finding that guy in free agency, but, but trading yes. for that guy now, or even just waiting and trading for that guy in the summer, depending on what you can do, especially if you can do, you know, work a sign and trade with some of your, your guys who are expiring. Those those two paths make sense. I think finding finding a guy like Dragic or Conley, you know, you would want, you know, especially for Dragic, you might want somebody who's a little bit happier and a little bit better playing off the ball because Oladipo is going to have the ball in his hand so much. Conley's a little bit better in that regard. You know, if they want to sniff around Kyle Lowry, that would be almost even better. I think that you know, defensively, Lowry and, and Conley are, are relatively equal. Conley's a little bit older, um, you know, and and. And, but, but can shoot a little bit better, can play more off the ball, I think Lowry can. So, you know, I think those are the types of, of players that they might look at. If if not, they can always roll their cap space into into this summer. I mean, it's it's something where we keep saying, you know, nobody ever goes to Indiana. But, like, if you have the chance to play in front of, you know, one of the, the better fan bases in the league and, you know, with Victor Oladipo, with Miles Turner, that's you know that should be attractive to the right level of sort of but it won't maybe be. <laughs> not the super it's not the super duper stars you know you're not going to get Kawhi you're not going to get Kyrie Irving like but those guys aren't available in these trades anyway like if if Mike Conley were to be a free agent this summer 
and and Memphis were to be like, we're not, we're going to go in a different direction. Best of luck to you. Go find a new home. He would consider Indiana. It wouldn't be like Kyrie Irving is not going to consider Indiana. Durant, Jimmy Butler, Clay Thompson, the the big names, of course. Like we're not, we're not, you know, let's not get ahead of ourselves with Indiana. But the the second tier of free agents, they will, they'll consider Indiana this summer. And and with forty million dollars in cap space, they can do some stuff. And I think it's going to be, you know, it's it's something that they if they have the right deal then they can eat into that right now and, and take on some money and, and eat into their, their, their 2019 cap space. But if not, it's not the end of the world to, to go into the summer with a bunch of cap space. You can always make sign in trades or, or, or some trades. Once you get into, into the summer, you can take on guys into cap space, like Conley, like Lowry, like Ricky Rubio in a sign in trade, something like that. Like there's lots of different ideas for, you know, for what Indiana can do once the summer rolls around. That I'm not sure unless I was unless I was blown away. If I'm Kevin Pritchard, I'm not sure that I'm I'm not eagerly shopping for for a new for a new guy just for these last couple of months plus you know plus next year. But I think I'm I, I would listen and, and see if I can if I can get a, a good deal on somebody like Conley, who Memphis would really like to move, but hasn't necessarily found you know they haven't found a, a, a solid destination for him yet quite yet. Or Aaron Gordon. Like that would be great yeah. for him, and you get to put him as a number one option for the. You you do or do not? I don't. I'm just not an Aaron Gordon guy. I just I'm not. Okay. It's just maybe it's me. Like I like him as an asset. I it's like the Orlando contract. stink, I like man. I just feel like if he was he got drafted by a different team, we would think of him completely differently. I. I I just I think the Frank Vogel putting at the three out of position, doing certain things like, I mean, remember when he started last year and shot like forty percent from deep for like the first two months of the season or wherever it was, and we were all like, "Ooh, Aaron Gordon." And I mean, I I don't know. I love the fit with him and like just the defensive upside of Old Depot, Aaron Gordon, Miles Turner, and all those guys. Like that's fun. And he could learn how to be the lead guy. He could be, I mean, he has gotten the Paul George stuff. I mean, he's not even close to Paul George, uh, but uh, I, I think it'd be fun. And I think it's the best they could get. And they're going to be too good to draft anyone um, in the lottery anytime soon. Old Depot, Turner are there. And they're just going to be good. And they're going to be good for the next several years. So maybe that's the answer. Or you go, hey, Phoenix, uh, Josh Jackson. What would it take to get uh, Josh Jackson? Would you like a point guard? We have two. We have Corey Joseph and Darren Collison. Who would you like between these two? And maybe give him some bonus as well. Something like that. Because um, I, Josh I Jackson we're talk about Josh Jackson. No, Josh Jackson. No, no. Like, oh, you, God. I wouldn't give. I would. I would be fine with giving a point guard, like one of the two expiring point guards, for Josh Jackson. But if you, if if Phoenix calls and wants Sabonis for Josh Jackson, Phoenix better throw in like. Uh, at least one first round pick and maybe something else on top of that. Dragon Bender. The bonus is a no Dragon Bender is going to be out of the league next year. Like what is he's no, Damn. he's not good either. Josh so they Jackson miss, is swung and really miss on like both a, a Dragon very, Bender and Josh Jackson. That's how you set a franchise back just years. Like they got lucky with Aiton and Booker, but like, God, it, it hurts when you miss like that. Um, yeah. Marquise Chris too. They missed on him in a big way. God. Can you imagine? Like um, they, they traded, Chris, they traded the 28th pick, the 13th pick, and the rights to Bogdan Bogdanovich, who has been really good for Sacramento, to move up and mm-hmm. draft Chris. And now Chris is like basically out of the league. And like, I don't, it's just, I don't get that was a terrible the Josh Jackson stuff. Did you watch the Suns Hawks game Saturday? Yeah. 
Okay, we're going to talk about that at the end of this podcast. But basically, it, the Suns don't have a point guard, an Arakpo, whatever his name is. Uh, not Brian Arakpo, <laughs> but it's like something like o- Okobo. Oh, yeah, I, I just, yeah. Um, he's just invisible. He's a lefty. He can shoot a little bit. He's fine, whatever. But Josh Jackson was bringing the ball up a bunch in that game. He's wild. He gets to the line. He's an unbelievably horrible free throw shooter. It doesn't make any sense. Like it's it's really bad to watch him shoot free throws. But he made corner threes. He did like there's just flashes. I just if he got drafted by the Spurs, I, I just I think it's a different story for him. It, he's like in that Stanley Johnson zone who's now in Milwaukee, who we're not gonna talk about, but I love that for Milwaukee. Um I don't know. I just I, I can't quit Josh Jackson. I, I think him shaving his head makes him look like he's seventeen. So he's like he's got the Bruno Caboclo look going when he first uh, arrived in Toronto, where you're like, oh, he's like seven years away from being seven years away. But I I will not quit Josh Jackson anytime soon. I I have a soft spot for wings who can defend, who I think could potentially be a thirty five percent shooter from deep and can play make. And I do believe he thinks he's a playmaker. And if he was not in the Suns just death orbit for the last two years, I, I just I think it's a different story for him. I, I still like Josh Jackson a lot. I, I I'm not I'm not out yet. Okay. Well, I'm out. I don't I wouldn't trade Josh. I mean, I would take him if you're if you're giving him away, I'll take him, but I'm not gonna give you anything back that's of any value for, for Josh Jackson. I was not expecting to go into a Josh Jackson monologue tonight, but um he is one of my guys. Um so let's talk about Marcus Gasol, someone who is on our list that I wanted to talk to you about because Marcus Gasol, um, he got a standing ovation Tuesday night. Um, he did not play because of the trade stuff, and he came out of the locker room. I think it was like second quarter or something. Fans gave him a standing ovation. It was really cool, really sweet moment. But um, I, I I've loved reading all the different stuff from the commercial appeal and Grizzly uh, team sites and all that kind of stuff, kind of reminiscing and looking back on the 10 plus years of Gasol and Conley. And um, my first takeaway was like, this is why there is some sort of value in just keeping guys for a long time. Even if you probably are never going to reach the pinnacle of the mountain. And Conley was like, we were close and we made a difference and we, people are going to remember us forever. He got a hug from this lady in the stands who like pleaded with him not to go. And, um, with just how many guys are on the move now and Porzingis already asking out and you you look at different situations around the league um the Grizzlies are kind of an anomaly because like these guys they've just they really just kept these guys well past when they should have and they just kept riding it out and hoping that if they could stay healthy and maybe this could go this way maybe this could go that way like Jaron Jackson can jump start this group and we can keep this going a little bit longer um and it just didn't, and the bottom fell out, and they've just been atrocious this year. But I, uh, I don't know. It's just I love reading the quotes of like Hakeem Work telling Mike Conley twelve years ago that um, when he was a rookie, he's going to be here forever. <laughs> and uh, twelve years later, Conley told Jaron Jackson that same thing. And I don't know. I, I like it. I like the idea that this team in the city is so connected, in that it. It, like the fans really love these guys and really don't want them to go and don't really care that they never won a title and don't really care that this team never got to where they needed to go um, and that they overstayed their welcome and they could have gotten more for them a couple years ago and all this other stuff. Like, I, I don't know. I, I really enjoyed it. 
I hope both guys get traded because I want to see them on contenders. I want to see Conley on the Jazz. I want to see Gasol not on the Hornets, who looks like that's where he's going. But um, am I crazy for just enjoying what happened here with Gasol and Conley and that them getting just kind of a proper, just nice send-off? I mean, I think I think the Grizzlies, more than almost any other team over the last maybe 10, 15 years, is they, they're the, the shining example of winning a championship is not everything. It's not all that right. matters to an organization. Compete is consistently being competitive with guys who have been in your, your system forever. I mean, it's similar to Dirk and Dallas, but they did win. They did win that championship in 2011. They were in the finals in 2006. You know, they've been more competitive than, than, than Memphis has been, but there there's, that they, they, those two are the biggest, most recent argument for like, there's something to be said for not necessarily being the best team, not necessarily doing the cold blooded Danny Ainge thing every single time to, to try to build a championship contender, but just leaving your guys alone to, to connect with the community, to be, you know, to, to really ingratiate themselves to the community and be part of the, the fabric of Memphis in a way that, you know, a lot of players don't get, you know, don't get that chance. Don't, you know, aren't really able to, to connect with their, their local community because they're, they're just not there long enough to, to get it done because there's so much player movement in the league. And so, you know, it is, you know, from the human, the human side of this particular, you know, pair of trades, assuming that they, that this comes down as, as a pair of trades in the next you know few hours, like it's, it's the, the, the most sort of sad, I guess, that the, the human side of this is the, is the bigger part almost than, than the basketball side. And finally, the basketball side is sort of taking over from, from the human side. But it's been such a, a great story. It's been such a, a big part of the, of the Memphis community. You know, I mean, just personally, like I have family there and I know, you know, I have, I have family there who went to school at the, you know, at the, at the same school as Marc Gasol when he moved from Barcelona to to, to Memphis while, while Powell oh, was wow. playing for the Grizzlies. Like, you know, I, so I guess I just, I also have that, that sort of extra connection with, with Marcus all and, and Mike Conley in particular and what they sort of were and what they mean to Memphis. And I, I've been there and talked to people who, who not necessarily know those guys, but feel like those guys are family, even though they've never met them. Like, it's just, it's a different, it's a different kind of world and it's a different kind of, of feeling around the city, especially with regards to those two guys. You know, obviously, Zebo and and Tony Allen were part of that before they, you know, the, before they had to move on, and and it's just, but those two guys were the two best players, and they really, you know, forged, especially Marcus All. I mean, it's really, you know, Conley came in and and has created that, you know, that bond with the city, but you know, Gasol really like almost basically grew up in Memphis and then was able to play for them professionally for so long, and has just been, you know, he's more a part of that community than some of the people who have been there 50 years because of, you know, what he means to the, to the community and what he means to the city. And so, you know, it does, if that, if it does come to the end here or it comes to the end over the summer, it's, it's going to be, you know, it's going to be a sad, sad situation. It's going to be something the where the human side of, of the game is, is really, really at the forefront for the first time since maybe like, since I guess Isaiah Thomas, who was really, um, you know, really bonded with the, the Boston community and played through all those injuries and, and played through the death of his sister and like was really 
uh, a part of the of the Boston community in a way that we haven't seen from a guy in a long time. And then, of course, he got moved, and it was, you know, it's perhaps coming back to bite Danny Ainge a little bit. Only, you know, not necessarily on the floor, but just with the human side of of you know Anthony Davis's father saying that he doesn't want his son to play for the Celtics because of how they treated Isaiah. So, you know, there's we often don't look at it like this because we are so focused on like how much money people make and how many points they score and all this, all the stats and how the, you know, how everything operates on the basketball court. But, you know, there is the human side of it matters and, and it really has mattered so much in Memphis that it's going to be sad when it's over. I agree. Um, and it's obviously it's 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 also very interesting to think about like what this team would have done for the last couple of years if Chandler Parsons isn't hurt. Like what is what happens there? Like if that huge investment doesn't go south, what does this team look like? If he becomes the kind of playmaker at the top of the key, the Gordon Hayward type that they were betting on, um, does this thing keep going for a longer period of time? Does this, that, and the other keep going? Like, it's it's a fascinating thing. But I think there are two teams that seem like they're um, in the driver's seat to kind of replace Memphis and Dallas in the, in the kind of zone that you're talking about. And one is the Hawks, because I do think Collins, uh, Herter, and Trey Young are probably going to be on this roster for a very long time uh herder and trey played together when they were like 16 years old and there's this really good piece on nba.com by friend of the pod cal chunard i've always forget how to pronounce his last name but great great writer good guy but um he wrote about this of like their connection from years ago and um i i think there is a genuine interest there i think collins clearly likes playing with trey and they have really great pick and roll chemistry and all that kind of stuff and then you have dame who's just loves being in portland and he has not asked out yet and this team is just they're not a title contender and they probably won't um for the duration of that core because there's just no avenue outside of like some kind of amazing trade for dame cj and whatever is that collins turns into to win a title like they'll just never get there but they'll be really good years on in um as long as those guys stay together it's and I think they might. I think at least Dame's going to be there for the long haul. He might be um, as close to a lifer in Portland as it gets, just because he's awesome. He celebrated the city, loves him, um, all that good stuff. And then I mean, hey, you know what? Like the Evan Turner, CJ Dame, um, Alfred Camino, and Joseph Nurkic combination. Like that's one of the best five man lineups in the league. So if you look at that, like they have one of the best net ratings of guys who have played over like i think it's 200 minutes together so that's cool like it's it i I think they get blitzed in the playoffs and they lose in the first round again probably but they're the city gets to enjoy them they're all good nurkic is having a great year all this stuff um it's just nice to have good basketball year in year out and i think both of those teams seems like they're on a trajectory where there's no chance for them to win a title ever but they have a core that fans will like and latch on to and appreciate over a decade plus. Yeah, I think I think Dame and, and CJ uh, to a smaller extent, but especially Dame Willard, like he's he's the next sort of star who stays in his in in his one city for as long as as possible. And and I think their you know their competitiveness and and the fact that they've had some moments in the playoffs, but for the most part have have been you know somewhat disappointed, especially last year. You know they're they might not ever win a title. They may, you know, by, by the time a lot of those bad contracts come off the books in 2020, maybe they can retool and sign one guy who, 
you know, I, I Tobias Harris like player where they get him on a, on a contract that's a little bit cheaper than what he's worth. And then he blossoms and all of a sudden, you know, or they get an Kevin Love this summer. Sure. I mean, that would be the opposite of that, but maybe, um, <laughs> That would that would sort of be overpaying for somebody who's not worth his contract. I was sort of looking for somebody who maybe doesn't make so much money and is is can can develop a little bit into a into a better player and but is, you could is see them maybe doing a little that. bit younger you as well. See so. O'Shea doing that and just going with CJ Dame and Love for the next four years and just seeing what happens. I, I could. Yeah, see I mean, it's not especially because of Love's connections to the Oregon region. Like, it's not the end of the world. It wouldn't be something that I would necessarily want to, them to do, but it's Fans not. would love it, though. Portland fans would love, would love that. Yeah, I think they would. I, I mean, think it they'd would be, be a top three team in the East. Would... I mean, in the West, they'd probably win 55 games. Like, they'd be really good, really fun for the next couple of years. I, I don't know. I could see it. Yeah. Um, I don't know. But it, it brings back the other things where it's like, I've called Portland, I mean, I've, I've called Atlanta Portland um, East for a while now we've talked about that so it, it should come as no surprise that these two are connected in this front as well um so i want to ask you about the fit though with marcus Gasol and charlotte so let's say he goes to charlotte um by the way frank kaminsky getting a lot of dmp cds these days uh the guy who michael jordan refused to give up four first round picks for um just not it's not going to happen for him at the five in in uh in charlotte and cody zeller has not been the same from what he was two years ago, which is sad because I really enjoyed him in pick and roll coverage with uh, Kimba a couple years ago, but it's just not working. And Gasol fits the bill. Like Gasol, like I, I like the idea of him and Kimba and uh, Jeremy Lamb and just everybody else kind of spreading the floor, doing different stuff. But I, uh, I don't know. Like it doesn't like they're a fringe playoff team now. You add Marcus All, I think they're still a fringe playoff team. I don't know really how much he moves the needle. I don't know what they're going to end up giving up for him. Um, I would assume Nick Batum would have to be in the deal, uh, which is good if they can get off Nick Batum's contract because that's like the underrated, awful contract in the league. But a lot of that is just health stuff, and um, he's just never going to work. And then probably Marvin Williams expiring and stuff like that. But uh, basketball fit wise the guy who just intrigues me the most in this roster right now who had a terrible january but he's coming back in uh to the fold miles bridges who is just like a really interesting four in today's nba he can shoot a little bit he can rebound he can defend he's he loves to posterize guys i i'm fascinated because if kimba's resigning and he's making like 40 plus million a year whatever it is they pay marcus all and then Miles Bridges is their best young chip. I mean, I guess if you want to keep talking to yourself into Malik Monk, go right ahead. Um, how does that all work? Do you think this is a team that has any more upside? Like, what is the basketball fit of Gasol, Bridges, and Kimba as your core for the next couple of years? Um, I mean, you'll be in contention for the seven, eight, six, maybe five seed. I mean, that's that's what you're looking at with that with that group. You know, Marcus All is not the Marcus All on the court that he was, you know, a few years ago, he's no longer, you know, a defensive player of the year candidate. He's slower and older and just is, it just doesn't have the, the same pop that he, that he had a few years ago. And, you know, he can, he can now shoot the three and the pick and pops with, with uh, Kemba would be, would be nice. And, you know, but if you're, if you're Charlotte, you, you're, you, you buy in on Marcus Hall to do the opposite of what the Clippers just did. The Clippers, sold on on Tobias Harris 
knowing that having Tobias Harris as one of their two max guys this summer, if they max him out and they bring him back, that they're not going anywhere that leads to a championship. And if Charlotte, if Charlotte is looking to do that, if that's what they want, they don't have to want that. I'm just saying if they want that and they're trying to compete at the highest level of, of the Eastern Conference and the whole league, Marcus All and Kemba Walker are not the the path to that. It's just that's just not gonna that's that's taking the opposite step from from what the the Clippers are doing. And it's not necessarily a bad it's not necessarily a bad thing because doing that might endear Kemba Walker to them. And Kemba can be their Marcus All and can be their Damian Lillard, the guy who sticks around his whole career and and really sort of ingratiates himself to the Charlotte community and has to you know is really a big part of of the city's identity. And that that's a win in and of itself. But if we're just talking about basketball and just talking about the, the fit on the floor, the, the fit on the floor in general seems like it would be fine, but those two guys, just those two guys are not taking you to the top of the Eastern conference, the way the Eastern is right now, especially with, you know, Boston, we'll see where, where they end up after this summer, but Philly's not going anywhere. Toronto Probably, I mean, I, I feel like Kawhi is, is going to stick around, but we'll see. You know, and and you look at Indiana, of course, as, as a team that is going to be around for a while. Milwaukee is going to be around for a while. The Kemba, Marcus, Gasol, Miles Bridges, Charlotte Hornets are not in that stratosphere. So, is that is it worthwhile to them to to trade? You know, Malik Monk and whoever else they need to trade to get to to get to Marcus All and and keep Kemba and roll it. You know, keep the ball rolling for a few extra years. Or should they, you know, decide that Bridges is the future and, and Kemba, if he's willing to stick around, can be the bridge to, to Bridges in, in, in so many words. But Gasol just, I wouldn't trade for Gasol if I were them. I just don't think that that's a, a good use of their resources. But it seems like they are more, they're more willing to be a, a mediocre playoff team and just take the, the, the that take that sort of status and, and move on with their lives than they are to, really tear it down and, and rebuild and try to win a championship and, in, in, you know, for, for, for the city and for their organization, it's just, that can be, you know, they, there's no right way to run their organization. They don't have to go for a championship if they're happy with the way they are right now and the way they're sort of fighting for the playoffs every year. And they have got a, a franchise icon in Kemba Walker and they can develop another one in miles bridges. And that's the way they want to handle things. That's fine. It's just from a basketball perspective, that's probably not, the, the best way for them to to win a championship long term. Yeah. Um I also wouldn't trust Mitch Kupchak in a full term rebuild. So I'm okay with them just spending money and bringing in guys like Gasol at this point. And if you're gonna pay Kemba, which is what it seems like they're gonna do, he's gonna be the best Charlotte Hornet ever, right? Like he's he's gonna go down as probably already there. Points leader. Yeah. When you I think mean, he might it, already I mean, I be there. him or Alonzo Mourning. Yeah, I guess. But like even Alonzo Mourning, like when you think of Alonzo Mourning, like I think of him with the Miami Heat more yeah. than I think of him with the, the Charlotte Hornets or, you know, you know I'm, I guess like Muggsy Bogues was fun, but like not uh, Larry a high level player. Larry Johnson would be in there as well. Like he's, he's maybe the other guy, but Kemba is probably the best player in there in their franchise history already. Yeah, I mean, but now we're getting into to the guys who are not Kemba Walker, and you know, and if Kemba <laughs> finishes his career there, he's the Charlotte Hornet, you know, and he can, he yeah. can really, you know, that and that matters. That matters. That probably matters. There's to value him. there. You, you, you know, there's value for the organization there. There's value for him there. 
he made, you know, there's just value for everybody involved. And so I think there's, you know, there's that part of it does matter. And so, you know, we'll see what his decision looks like this summer, but it, it really does matter that he could perhaps be that guy for, for the, for the Charlotte organization and for the Charlotte, the city of Charlotte. Yeah, I'm okay with it. And I think they ultimately, they need to kind of see what they have in Monk. They need to start playing him. Like, I'm I'm pretty out on him, but you have to play him a lot more. I think you still have MKG, who's still good for them. That's nice. Um, if you can get off Batum's contract for Gasol, that's fine. But, like, hey, you know, if you did a couple of years, like, the lottery gods were not kind to them. Like, we, we know what happened there. They're one pick away from Anthony Davis. Like, it's understandable for them to see this thing through and just ride out and then go into the lottery years later and just kind of um, keep pseudo going for it right now and just doing what you can. And who knows, maybe one of the miles bridges turns into a superstar and then you have Kemba Gasol who's super over the hill and MKG who's still fine. And Monk might hit a little bit. Who knows? Like it really just depends on what miles bridges turns into, but I think you owe it to the team. Like, I don't think that's a bad plan to just kind of, play miles bridges next to gasol for and hope that maybe it's like a jaron jackson gasol kind of deal and they hit a little bit and then you have kind of memphis 2.0 with mike conley and kimba being the corollary there and all that kind of stuff but um i don't know i think it's i think it's fine and they're kind of trapped there i just i don't like you said it, it, it doesn't really move the needle i think they're still a fringe playoff team they barely make it with or without gasol so it's like what is what is the point in just acquiring him knowing that he can't raise you to like the fifth spot or the sixth spot? Maybe he can with Indiana free falling without old Depot, but I, I have my doubts. Um, and but, even so, like know. if you're, if you're rising up to the fifth or sixth seed, like what's the difference between that and being the eighth seed? Like you're going to get killed in the first round anyway. And you know, Gasol's over the hill. So it's not like you're building toward a, a future five years from now with, with Kemba bridges and, and, and Mark Gasol, because Gasol is going to be, you know, gone by then. So, you know, I just, I don't see it for them. I would see it only as a, a way for them to solidify themselves as a playoff team this year and maybe next year as well, but, and then solidify that Kemba would come back and they could sort of tell him in a meeting, like, we're trying to put the right guys around you, even though Mark Gasol is probably not the right guy to be, to be putting around him in, you know, from a, from a long-term basketball perspective. Is anyone talking about the fact that it's going to be Mitch Kupchak dealing with Chris Wallace again over Gasol? Has that been brought up? <laughs> that's uh, not that I've seen in terms of uh, in, you in that about exact that? way, but like, that's, that's pretty funny. He and was the Lakers GM when the, the amazing Pau Gasol trade happened for um, the, the instant Mark Gasol, his brother, to Memphis. But like that was the fleecing was Chris Wallace, who is still somehow in power in Memphis, and then uh, Mitch Kupchak. Went back to North Carolina where he played college ball and everything. Um, he is running the Hornets. So I think that's kind of amusing to me that it's 2019 and these two are still doing deals together. So um, if you're Memphis or you're a Memphis fan, do you really want to, to be dealing with Mitch Kupchak? Um, but I think he's like the 28th worst GM in basketball right now. So I guess there's worse teams to deal with if you're trying to move Gasol. But yeah, I just that was my last thing on that. It's just I love that Mitch Kupchak and... Chris Wallace are doing business in the NBA again. Um, the Sixers, we talked about them a little bit. We know that they traded for Tobias Harris. They have their starting five. Their starting five was very good last year. Um, they gave up a lot of their starting five to acquire Jimmy Butler. So they've had to start Wilson Chandler. And we saw kind of the problems there in that six, in the, the Sixers-Celtics game on Christmas this year of like Wilson Chandler is just the odd man out. And when you're going to 
be in the that top four, you got to have just you got to have a better spot there. And they kind of felt like the Clippers of a couple years ago to me, where they're like they have four great guys, but they just need that one. They never found it with like Wesley Johnson and Luka Richard and Bamute and all those guys. But um, the Sixers, I think, found it. Um, they have big decisions to make this summer because Jimmy Butler and Tobias Harris will both be free agents. But at the same time, like that starting five is great. I also think it's kind of weird that Brett Brown's talking about depth being like the elixir <laughs> in the NBA today. And then the team gave up more depth to acquire Tobias Harris. So I I don't really know how they solve their depth issues now with TJ McConnell and Furkan and everybody else back there. But I guess it's Markel Fultz is the last piece to solidifying their depth because they don't have any other real trade assets. They gave the Miami pick, which was interesting to me. That I, I don't know if I would have done that for Tobias Harris, but um, Zaire Smith might come back. Who knows? But what did you... I, I, I think now, I mean, I tweeted about this. I, I would pick them over Milwaukee in a seven-game series in the playoffs. I am interested to see what this means for Toronto before tomorrow because Toronto, I think, has to do something anyway because if you're going to keep Kawhi or you want to feel good about it, you have to at least make the NBA Finals. Like that's, I feel like just a must. If they don't make the NBA finals, Kawhi's probably gone. If they do, I think there's a good chance he stays. Um, if that's the case, you have to do something else. I don't think they're getting Anthony Davis, but Mike Conley and Gasol, we just talked about him. If they did that trade that was rumored and they just went for both of them and that they closed with Gasol, um, Pascal Siakam, uh, Kawhi, Danny Green, and Mike Conley, that's winning the East. Like that's, that's winning the East. So I am fascinated by all these different variables that are now in play, but um, I, I like the idea. Like they're built for the playoffs. The problem is they still have to get there. There's still 30 games to go. Um, they need these guys to stay healthy. They need um, more depth. And I just, I don't think Wesley Matthews in the buyout market's enough. Um, so I feel like we're, we're looking at a Markel Fultz trade who might be Atlanta bound. Orlando bound. We saw that today on the Woj Low show on um, ESPN, but I, I, I don't know. Like, I'm interested. I think it's good, but I also think it's weird that they're sacrificing more depth at a time when Brett Brown is dying for depth. Yeah, and I think they're going to be more active on the buyout market than uh, than we expect. Like, I think they're really going to be the top destination for a guy like uh, like Wesley Matthews. You know, and he makes a difference. Like, that's another depth piece that they don't have to trade for. Like, they could just pick him up for free. You know, and so that's, you know, that's important. And so, you know, that's another guy who can play in a playoff series, you know, and, and if they decide to trade folks, then, then they're going to get at least one guy who can play in a playoff series. And if they try to decide to keep folks, then maybe he's the one, he's that guy. He's one of the, the, the backup point guard who can play in a playoff series. And then TJ McConnell is more of a third point guard, which makes more sense for, for his skill set, especially how it fits with this Philadelphia team, you know, so like there are, they, they obviously have like a, a top five and then there's everybody else and, and everybody else is not all that good. And, you know, the, the guys that they, they got along with Harris in that trade, you know, Mike Scott is like, he'll shoot the ball and that's about it. And then Boban can play in very specific matchups. And, you know, fortunately for them that they'll see some of those matchups in the playoffs. Like if you play against Boston and you're Philadelphia, you can play Boban against Aaron Baines. You can play Boban against, uh, you know, Jonas Valanciunas, if, if Jonas Valanciunas is still on the team come come playoff time. You know, certainly when you play against Milwaukee, 
I mean, what Milwaukee's doing at backup center is still sort of up in the air. They're sort of going super small. And so you can't, you know, a, a Milwaukee-Philadelphia playoff series, we won't see Boban probably at all unless they really want to, you know, zag completely the other way when, uh, you know, when, when Milwaukee's digs to go small. But even that, like, I don't, you know, so it's their, their depth is a problem, but I think that they, they can pick somebody up on the buyout market who, who makes sense for them and who can, you know, maybe even two guys, and then you have faults and whatever you either can get for faults or faults himself, if he can come back and give you something. So, you know, I, I'm not sure I think that they're not deep right now, but by the time the, the playoffs roll around, I think they'll be deep enough to, to make a, make some noise. Yeah. Um, I'm glad they did it at the very least. I think it's fun. I think that there's this, it, it's, it's very nice not having LeBron in the East. I think that's like been one of the biggest stories of the season. It's just how much more fun the, the East is now that uh, LeBron is gone. Like it's it's just nice. Yeah. Teams can breathe. There's five. There's, there's five good teams, except for you know Indiana. Obviously, is falling out of it because Oladipo got hurt. But they were in it before Oladipo. They were got in hurt. it. There and were five you... good teams who all could have you know seen themselves in the finals. And you know, just even though you know, obviously, even though Cleveland was not that good last year, like they still rolled through the playoffs and they still beat Boston in seven games. And like it was. You know, it's a, it's a different feeling around the league now, especially around the Eastern Conference. Like, everybody feels like buyers, and all of those teams think that they can make a finals run. And, like, once you get to the finals, like, you never know what might happen against Golden State, and you never know, like, who might be hurt or who might not be, you know, 100% or what kind of Kevin Durant drama might be engulfing the Warriors at that point. So, like, there's a, you know, all of those four big East playoff teams can talk themselves into we're a championship contender. And, you know, it's been a while since we've had four teams, you know, in a, in a single conference who can all talk themselves into it like that. Is there any weird basketball fit issues that you could see happening with Tobias, Jimmy Butler, JJ, Ben Simmons, and Joel Embiid being on the court together in crunch time? Nothing that wasn't already there before Tobias Harris got there. I mean, it's, it's yeah. always going to be strange just because, like, Ben Simmons can't shoot, doesn't want to shoot. Jimmy Butler passes up wide open threes to drive to the rim, which is fine if he, you know, it's, he's, he's a superstar. So you, you want to acquiesce to what he thinks is best, but also like those are wide open threes. So you should probably take them, you know, Joel Embiid likes to shoot threes, but can't really make them, um, you know, and, and so those three guys all on the court at the same time, it has presented them with some offensive issues. They've gotten around a lot of them, but they're still, they're still there. And so Tobias Harris helps those things. It doesn't, you know, he, he doesn't eradicate them. He doesn't make, you know, he doesn't, he, but he doesn't exacerbate them either. So it's, it's something that he can, you know, he's, he's going to help them in that way. Like he can space the floor. He's a legitimate 38, 40, 42% three point shooter from deep. If he's just hitting, you know, catch and shoot standstill threes, like he's going to hit a, a really good percentage of those. So there there's, you know, I think there's enough there to where he's going to really help them. And then, you know, because they have so little depth, they can change up their the way they run their lineups and, you know, run different combinations out there. Brett Brown already likes to do that. So Brett Brown can, can get real creative with how many of these five guys are on the floor. Like they'll start games together and they'll close games together, but all those minutes in between, you know, the, the 40 minutes in between the first four and the last four minutes of each game, they are going to be able to experiment with these three guys and those two guys and these four, but the, this only this guy maybe by himself. 
you know, they're going to have all sorts of different opportunities over the next couple of months. And then in the first round of the playoffs before they, you know, really get into a, a difficult matchup in the second round to, to experiment, to see what, uh, you know, what works best for them. I think ultimately you're going to see the offensive rating go up more. Um, when they got Jimmy Butler, I think people thought they were going to be a de- better defensive team, but they lost Rocco and Dario Sarch are both good defenders and the defense has actually slipped, but their offense has gotten a lot better. I think it's like 116 uh, points per hundred possessions with Jimmy Butler on this team. And when you throw in Tobias Harris in the Wilson Chandler slot, I think the, the offense keeps going up and I think we're going to see a crazy net rating with those five. But I do think the defense is going to slip. I think there are real defensive questions, especially in the regular season. I could just see these guys kind of just taking it, taking it easy um, on that side of the court because depth is a huge issue, and they it's really hard to be a great offense and also be a great defense. It's it's tough to work both ways when yeah. you're thin on the margins because you're asked to do so much on the more important side, which is uh, putting the ball in the hoop. So I, that would be my best guess is I think this offense gets even better and more explosive and it's a clean fit there. I I just think you're going to see the defensive rating fall a little bit more. I think defense is going to be an issue down the stretch for them. Yeah. And Harris is like secretly not a very good defender. Like he's fine. And especially since he's, he's going to be their fourth most important defender, which is nice. Like they can hide him a little bit, which is going to be, you know, that's going to be useful for them to do. But, you know, in a, in a playoff series against a team that goes five deep, like they do, there is no hiding him, you know, there's no hiding JJ Redick. And so like what, you know, how much can Joel snuff out those problems? So, you know, Embiid is going to have to be, you know, prime defensive player of the year level Joel Embiid, which he can be. And, and, you know, Simmons is a, is a wrecking ball off, you know, off the ball in terms of getting into passing lanes and such. And Jimmy Butler is Jimmy Butler. So like they have three very, very high level defenders, like three of maybe the 15 best defenders in the league. And then they have two guys who are probably below average, below average. And so, you know, how they balance that and how those three guys can, can make up for the two guys is, going to be you know probably the most interesting part of their de- you know defensive uh their defensive adjustments and their defensive development over the next couple months last thing in the sixers um i would like an apology from all the people who gave me crap about saying markel fultz was going to be out of the league in a year and a half and that this was never going to work out the first like i've been banging this drum i don't want to be right about this it sucks like it's a crazy thing but i mean the fact that he's probably played his last game as a sixer is what it sounds like. And then his only real trade options are Atlanta where he won't start and it will not be a fixture in that uh, core long-term or Orlando, which is his best bet. Like that's where I hope he goes. And he actually played with Mobamba um, growing up and stuff like that. Like they played on those travel teams that I was talking about with Herter and Trey Young. That's all in the story, but um, I, that's his best bet is to play behind DJ Augustine and eventually hope that they give like that. That's his best bet is like DJ Augustine. Um, just sad. I just, Oh my God. I, I can't see the Hawks doing it. It just adding that kind of player at the end of the season with so much going right. And Jeremy Lynn, I like, I don't know. Like this feeds into our last thing I want to talk about, but I, I hope he goes to Orlando. That would be my best bet. Like if they could do, Markel Fultz for Terrence Ross, that would be a that'd be a huge win. But I think you'd have to give up something else for the salaries to work and all that kind of stuff. But um, Orlando does have a lot of guys that they need to get off of, and I uh, I think that's best case for everybody involved. Like, th- don't you think that's something 
you would want to do. I mean, maybe even DJ Augustine's the guy who goes to, or Jaron Grant to Philadelphia, even though I don't think he's he's pretty atrocious. So I, I, I don't know, but I feel like that's the right answer is Markel and Orlando. Yeah, I mean, for, for faults, I guess Orlando makes the most sense, but it's very, it's impossible to sit here and tell you, tell you what Markel Fultz's value is or how good he's going to be as a player because there's just, there's no more confusing player in the league than Fultz. And so, you know, even, even speculating about where his value is in a trade and where his value is on the court and whether he's a positive or a negative asset, there's just no way to do it. So, you know, it's, it's almost impossible to, to start thinking about like, well, what does a trade look like? Because, you know, I would imagine that Philadelphia is going to want something of value back so that they can sell that to their fan base of like, well, at least we got a first round pick back for Markel Fultz, but like nobody's sending a first round pick for Markel Fultz because he doesn't you have that anything of, of real value outside of like an expiring contract. You should be fired on the spot. Like, I don't think Markel Fultz is playing another NBA game. I mean, there's a, I would imagine that he, with a fresh start in a new place, can get out there and play. Like, even if he can't shoot, that he's still probably an NBA rotation player, just as a, as, as an entity of you know what he is right now as a as a ball handler, as a passer. He can get there to be a backup point guard, but if he's going to be a a star, he's going to have to shoot. And so, you know, but I don't think. I don't think for a minute that he's done unless this shoulder star is never, gone. ever, ever. Healed. At the very least, you're not still considering him being a star. Like it's if been he, two years now. If the shoulder is finally fixed, like if this is, if the, the thoracic outlet syndrome, if that's what he has and they can fix that, then there's no reason not to, I mean, he, he's obviously off to a slower start than you would want him to be, but he basically be a rookie right now or whenever you uh, you obtain him maybe he's uh, he's you sort of treat next year as his rookie year and then you you know you you try to drive you know you try to develop him you give him minutes you get his confidence back under him he's healthy for the first time in his nba career and all of a sudden you know when he if you were to tell like if you were to tell me he was healthy then i would think of him as the same the same way i thought of him coming out of washington which was this guy is a surefire number one pick and can be an all NBA level point guard. So, but you're also discounting the mental aspect of that. Like he could be physically healthy, but I don't know if he'll ever get over the mental health. That's a, yes, that's a problem. And and how much of the mental health was, uh, was attached to the the physical health and how much he could, you know, if he, if he has a few months of good basketball where he doesn't have any pain in his shoulder and all of a sudden he's playing well, does the mental health stuff go away? Like, I don't, that's why, that's why nabbing his value right now. That's why nailing down what he's worth in a trade is impossible because you have no idea. Even if you had access to all of his medical information and you had perfect knowledge of, of everything that would, that, that is wrong with him physically, you still don't know what he's, what he's worth because you still can't have any idea what the mental side of it is. So, you know, it's, it's really is impossible. I think, because you have no idea, there's no way to know what, how he'll recover from the physical or mental side of, of whatever's going on with him. There's no way to definitively say anything about him. He could be out of the league by this time next year, or he could be by 2022, he could be on an all NBA team. And I wouldn't blink because oh God. <laughs> there's, there's so many the variables are so big and there's so many of them uh-huh. that there's the, 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 ceiling and the floor are as are as wide as they could possibly be we have no idea what this guy could be or will be or anything so any any outcome is is believable at this point because we we really just have no idea 
I'm gonna I'm gonna stay. I, I'm gonna stay on the Markel Fultz is not playing another NBA game island. That's that's where I'm at. Um can we talk about the Hawks for a second? Sure. The Hawks are interesting. They're winning they're on a month long road trip um because of stuff they're doing at State Farm Arena and everything, and it's it's brutal, but they've played really good basketball. Like that Suns game was a lot of fun, especially that first quarter. Like the pace, like this team plays fast. Trey, Herder, like L- Lloyd Pierce, I love the way he's coaching. He seems like a just a great guy and the way he handled the trade deadline stuff this week was awesome. Um I really like Lloyd Pierce. Um I there's still a lot going on with this team and like Trey Young's now just getting 10 assists every night and he's like some of the passes he he just makes are uh, ludicrous. Um and a lot of fans are like see told you so about certain things with Trey. Um, Luka Doncic is doing <laughs> things where he'll, his step back three is still one of the dirtier things I, I watched in an NBA game this season. Like he's 19 and some, like he's still just miles ahead of Trey Young. Like it's, it's not close. So what's happening here is Trey's getting a lot better. He's getting more confidence in his shot. I, I've been very impressed uh, where he's pulling up from. Like he's not pulling up from Kevin Herter deep these days, but um, not many guys are only Kyrie Irving takes deeper threes more consistently than uh, Kevin Herter. Um, but I, I'm interested. It's fun. Like this team is definitely fun. Herter, Collins, Trey, they have great chemistry. Um, very low ceiling. Like I think this is like a a team. Like I saw someone tweet out like this team is gonna be at the top of the Eastern Conference in a couple of years, and I was like, um, no. But sure, like they're they're like a fourth or a fifth seed. They're like Portland East. They they'll probably win fifty games a couple times. They'll be fun. They'll be fun for years. They might be Phoenix Sunsy when during the Nash years with Sean Marion and friends, Amari Stoudemire and all those guys. But um, no, like there's there is a ceiling, and they still lost Luka trade because uh, Luka Doncic is still a better player than Trey Young, and will continue to be that. So that matters, and uh, we'll have to see the pick, but. Uh, I, I don't know. It it's I'm getting I I don't know. Like that four point play Trey had Saturday night where he had two guys' hands in his face. He got fouled, he still hit the shot, it was it was dirty, and he had some other great shots in that fourth quarter to close that game out. Like he's fun, it's cool to see him kind of getting over it. Him saying that he's gonna be a better player than Luca on the jump was just mind boggling to me. Like, why are you doing this to yourself? I mean confidence is one thing, but um I just no, please don't do this. Um but you know what? You know what I do love more than anything in the Sox team is John Collins getting offensive rebounds all the time. Like this dude is, he's so much fun to watch and he's such a big guy. He's like a fullback when he gets in the lane. He scores on plays where he just has no business scoring. I, I will never believe in the shot, even though the shot's great. Um, love that Herder's just pulling up from wherever. Love my guy, Kevin Herder. DeAndre Bembry's fun. This is just a fun team. I, I love everything they're doing. And I might write about this this week. Hear me out. This is the best offensive rebounding team in the NBA over, let's see, what was it? Uh, Yeah, over the last 24 games. They're gobbling up 34.6% of available offensive rebounding opportunities, which is insane. Um, What if they just traded for Nikola Vucevic? What if he replaced Dwayne Dedman in that spot? Dwayne Dedman only shoots top of the key in corner threes and literally does nothing else. He doesn't really rebound that well. Not a great passer, but good defender and all that kind of stuff. What if they just doubled down on their offensive rebounding and rebounding traits and just went Collins, Bembry, um, Kevin Herter, Nikola Vucevic, and uh, Trey Young next year? What if that's what they did? I would love it just driving teams nuts with the amount of offensive rebounds they would gobble up with that group. 
I mean, that sounds, that would not be the, 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 the way I would go with it, but it's certainly an option, I guess, technically, uh, you know, Vucevic is going to be a free agent, and maybe they they want to yeah. spend a lot of their money on him. I very very the David very Lee much contract doubt that that's something that they would be they David in Lee doing. Him. But you know, it's I mean, it's it will be technically something that could happen. I would be floored if that's the way that they decide to use their cap space this summer on Vucevic. But it's certainly something that they you know might consider. I would imagine that the the offensive rebounding that they've been able to, to, to do over the last couple of uh, last like maybe 24 games or so, like you said, that's not, I don't think that's a very sustainable model for them long-term. Like I just, it is for know, John Collins, Collins. <laughs> it is for Collins, but like team wide, I just don't see that that's a, 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 you know, they, they very much focus on getting offensive rebounds and they give up a lot of transition opportunities as a result of it. And it's, it's a problem for them. Like, I'm not sure that it is necessarily always a net positive it has been for them for a little bit but it's not it's always not uh, not 100 percent sustainable i guess is what my uh where i come down on the offensive rebounding and and just across the board in terms of of where the team is i think that they're so i think where the hawks are right now is just like they're they're where they are in the in this second year of a rebuild like they're in a really good spot with young and herder and collins and and they're you know in terms of their long-term ceiling i'm not sure exactly where you know, where they're going or what they're going to be, but they've got so many picks and they've got so many bites at the apple that who knows what this team is going to be like in 2021 or 2022. Like that, that's, those are the years that they're going to try to, to compete for the first time. I don't think they're going to compete this year or next year, but the, by the year after, by 21 or 22, that's when they're, you know, that's, that's, they're going to be their time to go. And so it's going to be, you know, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, what they can do, in the draft in terms of, of drafting some defenders about, uh, you know, maybe signing some defenders in free agency, because that's what this team is sort of lacking at the moment. But to, to try to put a ceiling on this team as it is right now is difficult just because, you know, outside of, of really outside of young and Herder and Colin, there's nobody on the team. That's like you're, that you're really feel confident is still going to be on the team three or four years from now. So it's it's really difficult to see sort of where their their long term ceiling is just because you know they, they've got so few of their long term pieces are really on this team. They're going to get another pick this year, another pick from uh, from Dallas this year, and you know another pick in 2020. Like it's it's going to be you know they're, they're still in the the first half of this rebuild really, and so you know I think they're they're still taking the longest view in the room. That's why I wouldn't think that they're going to go after a guy like Lucevic. I think they're going to sort of stick to this, this really long-term vision of, of building around Trey and, and Kevin Herter and John Collins and, and try to, you know, try to really uh, build long-term, build sustainably, build through the draft and through young players and not through, you know, free agency, like with a guy like Lucevic. Well, here's the thing. Um, you can be atrocious and uh, still have Nikola Vucevic on your team. And that's what we've seen in Orlando the last couple of years and him being the number one option. They're still not a playoff team. So I don't think it's necessarily like, I, it's more about the years than anything else. But if you sign Vucevic for like three years, three or four years for the next couple of their bad years and you just helped John Collins' load because that's what I'm thinking of. Just like the punishment he takes and Dwayne Dedman just standing on the perimeter and um, Alex Lynn being just one of the worst basketball players I've ever seen. Um, I, I think it would be nice to give him some help 
down low and just i don't know i just think of like the david lee stuff where it's like he won't be a guy who plays in a couple years when the team's actually good um and he'll be a liability and his role will be diminished but in the next two when this team is still terrible um i think it's fine i think it just lessens the burden of guys like that so that was my idea like i don't want to sign vucevic for the team to get better and jumpstart where they are i i just would like to see someone like that like that i mean it's the reason I like Mike Muscala and guys like that, where I think there is value like to the Aaron Baines types and those kind of guys. I think he's just a better version of all of them, but um, we just know that this team would still be shit with Nikola Vucevic. So I'm not really um, all that concerned about what he would do to the trajectory of the team. And it's also like, they're not going to use that cast space on anybody else anytime soon because no free agents are coming here. They're just like, it just doesn't matter. Like they can still be bad with him and just still spend money and help get a good veteran who can help the young guys and help John Collins load. And I mean, we'll still have to see what happens with Kent Bazemore. But like you said, they, the concerning thing to me with all these picks is they already have three guys that are locked up in their core. Like Herter, Young, and Collins are three of their guys. Like I think they see them as three guys who we want to be on our team ten years from now. I, I think that's the plan. That leaves two spots, and I, I mean, this year they're going to be too good to get Zion, RJ Barrett, guys like that. It's just they're too good, and they're teams that are just too bad. So that's a problem. Um, they don't have anyone that profiles as a top twenty player ever in the NBA, which is a problem. But I, uh, I, I don't know. I, I think it's going to be interesting. Like they just have to hit on one, like one of these next couple years they have to hit because eventually Trey Collins and Herter are going to be too good. That's where I grew with people where I think they're going to be too good to be bad enough to get that lottery pick. And they're going to fall in that Indiana zone, um, that just the Portland zone where Portland just got too good. And then they just couldn't find someone else to replenish those guys and another star to pair with Dame and CJ and everything else. Um, I think that's the course that Atlanta's on. Like they're already playing really good basketball now. Like it would not surprise me if they were an eight seed next year. It would not at all. And that's worst case scenario <laughs> for this team. But um, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility. Can I throw something at you though? I think I'd lock up Jeremy Lin for like three years. Okay, I mean that's also something that I wouldn't even consider. But that's something that they might look into especially if Lynn is happy there and he's willing to take six million dollars a year fine but he's he can go be a a backup point guard for that money on a a championship level team and and be a better he can he he can do better than atlanta i would think from from, and i don't but i'm saying from atlanta's perspective if you could talk jeremy lynn into staying for a couple more years and be like hey do you want to be our sean livingston i guess but i just they're not close to being where the Warriors are, and so like it's just not. No. I don't but know. neither I, were the I Warriors, and they signed Sean Livingston. I, I I see where where you're sort of going with that. I would not pick Jeremy Lin as that guy. I just don't think that 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 makes sense for them from a timeline perspective. I think they're too far away to the point where he's going to be. He would be out way, way, way out of his prime by the time that they're ready to ready to compete in a few years. And so, you know, I just don't think that that makes a ton of sense for them, but. A, a veteran point guard like him, who is maybe a little bit younger, who hasn't quite caught on with a, with another team, that would make a little bit more sense. But I think a you know a post thirty Jeremy Lin for another few years just doesn't doesn't really help them as much as they could do with uh, with some of that money elsewhere. My dream is Tomas Sanaransky for the next couple of years. 
that would be uh, fun. That's my dream. Yeah. Um, you know what would not be fun? And maybe that's the reason I just want him to keep uh, Jeremy Lin long-term is that uh, I still have just oh, nightmares of Malcolm Delaney bricking three after three. Remember when he was supposed to be the sharpshooter coming over from Europe? He played at Virginia Tech and all that, and he went overseas and shot it lights out from deep. And he ne- he literally, let me check my notes. Yeah, he did not make one three-pointer during his tenure in Atlanta. So um, I, I just, not having a good backup point guard is mind numbing because you're just those minutes you're like okay okay like that's son's game like you watch the hawks when trey's out and herder's not there and bimry's not bringing the ball up you're like oh my god i I can't do this somebody put trey back in i can't handle this anymore i can't watch tyler dorsey or whoever it is um play anymore it it, it's bad um but yeah vince carter went like four or six from deep on the wizards and trey found him in some cool spots this team's seems fun um they've won too many games which is a problem, but I, I don't know. The last thing on the Hawks I wanted to touch on, um, the interesting thing when they're in the half court sets is just how much Dorian Prince doesn't fit. And he just, he got put in the starters and Bazemore's on the bench and that starting group, they all have good chemistry except for Prince. He just stands around. He has no idea what to do with those starters. Am I crazy for seeing that of him just freelancing and just destroying the offense kind of and it kind of reminds me of the Warriors of Kevin Durant sometimes where it's like he's gonna do his own thing we have to facilitate and let him do his own kind of deal um while everybody else has chemistry and passes the ball around and knows what to do Torian Prince has no idea what to do in the construct of their offense yeah I think Prince has struggled a little bit this year in terms of finding you know where his where he fits where what his role is I think they you know certainly since he's gotten back from injury they've had him guard Lou Williams. They've had him guard um, Bradley Beal. They've had him guard uh, Devin Booker. And I think the, the the message there for Prince is we want you to focus more on the defensive side of the ball than the offensive side of the ball and, and be play your role offensively, catch and shoot, come off screen, stuff like that. But it's not something that, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's not something where he, he doesn't necessarily love doing that. He doesn't really fit with the, with the rest of their team right now, you, you, you know, you hear Schlenk talk about that. They want guys who can uh, dribble, pass and shoot. And so far, Torian Prince can do one of those things. He can shoot and he loves to shoot. And he very much, you know, will, will put up, put up shots. And every time he gets the ball pretty much, but the, the dribbling and passing side of things have not, is just hasn't really come along for him. And so, you know, if they try to turn him into more of a defensive guy, with the three-point shot, that makes more sense for him long-term, and then he starts to fit a little bit more toward, uh, you know, t- into what they they want to do long-term. All right, this is uh this has been great, man. Um, I really appreciate you taking the time, as you always do. You become a fixture of the podcast. I appreciate it. Yeah, I appreciate you having me on. I appreciate the the, the questions and some of the particularly off-the-wall ideas, and and it's just it's you know it's always it's always fun to. to talk to you i appreciate your your thoughts man i think we see the game differently in some areas i think we're on the same page in others i like uh, getting your thoughts i i like talking to people that are smart and um just see the game a little bit different than i am and i kind of pick up stuff and you pick up stuff and all that kind of stuff so that's what a good podcast is i think um last thing then we'll go uh get tell me where give me one trade before tomorrow that you want to see happen like that you'd be like oh this is great this is right up my basketball fandom alley Oh man. I mean, I don't see, I, so I didn't grow up in a, in an NBA town, so I don't have a 
fandom. Like I just I just want the well, not just the fandom, but like I'm saying in general, like basketball, like, fandom, interest, like, like you, an interesting like, move. Yes, that you want to see that you're like I'm. I, I'm gonna sink my teeth into this. This is gonna be something that intrigues me. I'm gonna turn them on League Pass now. Like this is something that I'm interested in. If Denver buys one more, like you know, thir- ten, thirteen million dollar a year player, they can do that. They've mm. got a trade exception for thirteen million from uh, the Kenneth Reed trade over the summer. If they oh, right. decide we're willing to pay the tax and we want to go out and get somebody who makes, you know, a significant you know, sum of money and they go, they get another starting level player and they can just push everybody down another slot. Like they could get into the, this team is as good as any in the league. If they, if they really had one more guy, they might be there anyway. You know, they really, they could be there anyway, but they have too many like one way guys. Like Tory Craig is really like, I really like Tory Craig, but he just can't play offense. Like, and, and in the, in the playoffs, that's going to be a problem. So if they can go out and grab some another two-way guy who who you know can can play for them and, and doesn't necessarily make a ton of money so that they fit into that trade exception, if they're willing to pay the tax and go for that, that would be really interesting to me. Yeah, um, I want Conley in Utah. That's my thing. Yeah, that'd I think be Donovan fun. Mitchell would be he just taking some of the burden off him just being so young and him in that sophomore slump and Rubio's fine and the numbers with them on the court together are still fine and he's shooting better but if you can find a way to give Donovan Mitchell just such a smart veteran point guard to just learn from for the next couple years and just what that would do for that postseason I I just that's that's what I want I, I think it would just be it'd be fun I wish Memphis had somebody other than like J. Michael Green who they could also throw into upgrade the jay crowder spot um Derek favor spot but they just don't so i don't i don't think they can do much there but utah just getting that getting conley and just seeing how fun they would be with mitchell conley ingles um crowder and gobert come playoff time like we thought they were annoying last year just wait for conley and those guys to to join forces i think that's that's what i'm pulling for yeah i think that would be really interesting i think there would be uh you know, I think there are going to be some some teams out there for Conley, and and whether he wants to go to Utah doesn't totally matter because he's under contract, but it matters a little bit. And like he, you know, if you're Utah, you want to acquire somebody who wants to be there. So, you know, I think that's the the biggest impediment to to that particular trade happening. And I just want the Spurs to do something. I want the Spurs to do the most insane thing possible. I, I like Stanley Johnson got traded to the Bucks, so they can't do that. But I would love to see them find a way to get like like Josh Jackson or, or some other undervalued wing that they just who's still young enough that they could get in their system and turn into a really good player. That's what I want to because they're ten games over five hundred. Like we're just passing that off. They lost to Jonte Murray at the start of the year. They should not be this good. Derek White's turning into a really good player. Bryn Forbes is good. Patty Mills hasn't been the same. Marco Bellinelli is doing what he's supposed to be doing. Davis Bertans literally only shoots threes. He's Mister Two for Five from deep every night. Like they are fascinating, and they're gonna be in the playoffs, and it's already in. Like I, I want to see them do something crazy. I want the Spurs to get a wing. That and just have DeRozan a wing and Lamarcus Aldridge for the next couple of years, and Pop never retires. That's what I want, I mean, along with Mike Conley in Utah. <laughs> yeah, I mean that that would uh, certainly if, if we can whatever we can do to keep Pop around a little bit longer would be uh, fine with me. Yeah, maybe Michael Porter Jr. in Denver. They don't need him anymore. I I don't know. They're, the possibilities are endless. But Jeff, I've taken way too much of your time. Let's enjoy the next twenty four hours of trade madness. Um, turn on those Woj alerts, those Zach Lowe alerts, those Sham alerts, and uh, let's talk in soon, man.
All right, man. Thanks for having me. And that'll do it for today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. I just want to remind you guys, if you like today's episode and you are subscribed on Apple Podcasts or iTunes, I would really appreciate if you could take a second, leave the show a five-star rating and a review. If uh, you're not an Apple Podcast listener, remember you can find the show on Spotify, TuneIn Radio, SoundCloud, Stitcher, uh, Google Play, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Uh, Be sure to check out ChaseThomasPodcast.com where you can access all of my previous episodes and also find all my writing. I'm writing there fairly often. And also follow me on Twitter at Chase double underscore Thomas and like the Facebook page at facebook.com slash Chase Thomas writer. Thank you for your support and we'll be back in another episode very soon. Thanks guys. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.